Welcome to Curious Not Furious. I'm Louise Brooks, parenting coach and family advisor, and a mom of two. I support parents to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids through one-to-one sessions, online courses, and workshops. And here, where I take on the hard questions and offer actionable strategies and inspiration that can help you in your parenting. Hello and welcome back to the Curious Not Furious podcast. Today's episode is going to be about courage. So much of the best things in life are to do with our relationship to courage. If we didn't have courage, there's so much. If you look at your life, there's so much that you wouldn't have manifested or attracted into your life if you didn't dare risking to take a leap of faith, to feel nervous, to feel unsure or feel a bit unglued and courage is one of those things as a parent as well that we can really model to our children that it's okay to have but also what enables us to tolerate courage or to practice courage and once we get clearer on our own relationship to courage we are going to be such a great role model to our kids um, when it comes to them doing courageous things. So I just want to ask to begin with, when were the, when, what was the last thing you did that required courage? Can you remember what you were doing, what you were about to take on or an opportunity that came your way or a thought you had that you wanted to put into action and it required courage? May have made you nervous, make you notice the butterflies in your tummy flutter or give rise to doubt or insecurity because... You're about to veer off the path that everyone else follows. I think our children experience these feelings a lot more often than we do, in fact. Because when you think about it, they don't get to design their own life with the same degree of freedom as we do as adults, right? They're sort of on a track already that's our design for them or the school that they go to decides how their day is going to be spent. When... We approach situations that make us feel a bit unglued. We can often just say, no thanks, that's not for me. Or we can cancel if we feel like this is making me too nervous. Or we can offer a white lie. We can convince ourselves that it wasn't really that important after all. Or we can just stay in the safe lane. But for better and for worse, our children are not always in the same position as that. And they're regularly pushed out of their comfort zone. You know, just think about it. They may need to speak in front of their entire class, which for many kids can be a huge deal. And maybe something that we as adults would never dream of doing. It might even be your biggest fear. I know it used to be mine once upon a time. They need to take tests and exams that they can't get out of. Again, if we need to do that, we we have some, some power that can make us be ill that day or we could cancel it altogether, right? They often need to meet people that they didn't ask to meet. We may need to go and see some of our friends and there happen to be other kids that they are then sort of relative, sort of forced to hang out with as well. Sometimes they need to eat food they didn't choose. Sometimes they need to deal with changing school or changing 
house, moving, all these things, go to the dentist, all these things that are sort of part of life that's expected of them and forced on them, but something that they don't really have any real autonomy over. The thing to remember about courage and the thing that really helps me to think of it in a positive way is that growth happens when we're in that zone. Resilience, the thing that we all want, right, and we especially want for our children, is born out of a willingness to be uncomfortable and vulnerable. And when we stay safe and follow the path and live our life just dodging the challenges or resist uncertainty, what happens is we stagnate. We don't really grow. So growth takes place when we're up against some sort of challenge. And of course, sometimes life throws us a curveball that kind of leaves us no other option but to wade through these icky emotions because life is like that. It's ever-changing. But the thing to get curious about is what your relationship is to courage. I think it's a really good starting point to adopt as a parent because as I started out by saying, we model how to tackle courageous situations or situations that require our courage. We model that to our kids. Courage opens us up. But to be able to practice courage and do courageous things We need to get comfortable with the idea of being vulnerable because it does feel vulnerable to not know the answers. Is my decision the right one? You know, think about a situation that you're maybe faced with right now that requires you to choose A over B or choose either of the two. And you notice maybe the need to know which one is the right one. And if you don't think that, then maybe there are other people in your life that go, well, you better choose right. So you feel other people's need for guarantees. It's vulnerable to not know the answers, but to take a leap of faith and to practice not knowing. It's also vulnerable not to be brilliant at first. Will I fall flat on my face? Or if it's a new thing that you're doing, you most likely are not going to be brilliant. That's vulnerable. Holding yourself in that space is vulnerable. Whatever that is, the first day at a new job, it could be a new task at work that you need to do. It could be for you as a new mother, you know, going into a baby group, perhaps socializing with other mothers and having come out of maybe a time of solitude with your baby and then venturing into the world. Maybe that's something that leaves you feeling quite nervous and not sure of who you're going to be in that space and whether you can handle anything that comes up with your baby during that time. It's also vulnerable when we don't follow others, when we don't follow the path that seems to be laid out for us. Right? When we look around and the other parents in our life are maybe making decisions that feel like they're different to the ones that feel right for us. And one thing I can think of here is to do with something that presents for your child. For instance, it could be that your child is not really responding well to hours of homework or hours of school after school clubs. But everyone in your immediate vicinity are doing just that and there seems to be a lot of the culture just needs to be it feels like it, it, it's that way and you notice that it's not right for your child it's not right for your family so daring to do things differently what does that mean 
Will I get rejected? Will I be less liked? Will I be criticized? So there are so many examples of where courage plays into our daily life. But one thing I've noticed is that for the majority of the time, tend to play it relatively safe. We play defense as opposed to offense in our own life. So working on the sort of the premise that if it ain't broke, right, then why change it? Why fix it? And I think there is good reason to do most of family life that way because, of course, we're all just barely, you know, managing to kind of keep all the balls in the air all the time. And it requires extra resources and more effort when we switch things up and we do things differently. So in order for us to be able to do as much as we do and do it as well as we do, things have to be fairly automatic. But if you think about it and take a step back right now and kind of zoom out so you can see your life a little bit more broadly, see different perspectives, you might also notice that it's so easy to fall asleep in our own life, isn't it? It's so easy to just sort of do what we do, but without necessarily noticing the little things that give rise to joy. The last time I can remember I really had that, and I'll give you an example, was when we moved house. I remember feeling so alive for the first pretty much year after I moved, feeling alive to the seasons because I looked at it through the lens of my new garden. I paid attention to the area that I lived in. I paid attention to what the neighbor's gardens looked like and the tree, the trees I would pass on my walks and things like that. I felt intensely alive because I started noticing things anew. And that was a great example of where I thought I'd been alive. I actually, or paying attention or feeling fully awake and aware, I had fallen half asleep because I was walking and living in an environment that I knew off the back of my own hand. So it... When we switch things up, we start becoming a bit more alive. We start feeling injected with a sense of joy and aliveness and curiosity. It all kind of starts bubbling under the surface. So one of the things that I invite you to do is to notice, is there something in your life that is kind of okay, but could do with maybe you taking a bigger, bolder step in a new direction, something that is maybe actively holding you back right now because you fear something. There's something that you are afraid is going to happen if you do it. Well, I have one of those things and I'll share it with you here. And I have alluded to it on my Instagram post and um, in my other podcast that I do with my good friend Ellie Kelly on the Who's Raising Who podcast. And it's to do with my son moving schools. So to give you a bit of context, my son is currently in a lovely little village school, one form entry. He's going into year four. His sister's about to go to high school, so she's leaving that school. And the school has been a brilliant setting for both my kids. There's nothing wrong with that school, except it's a 20-minute car journey away. And I'm getting rather tired of that journey. And... When we first moved to this new area, we did that for reasons apart from needing a bigger space. We also did it because we wanted our children to be part of this village. We wanted to grow roots here. 
We wanted to meet people here, make friends, create memories and really ground ourselves here. And one way that you do that and do that quickly as a parent is by having your children be immersed in daily life here. And that was just not happening. And also with my daughter going off to high school now, I see what a big change that is. And and weighing up my children's personalities, I can see that out of my two children, my daughter, my eldest, who's about to go to high school, is the one who would likely take to that change the, with the most courage and being the, le the least affected, at least where we stand right now. I may come to correct that in the, in the future when I see her actually doing it, but that seems to be her demeanor about it. My son, on the other hand, who's, come, who's nearly nine, is the kind of personality that needs a little bit more of a sense of safety, feeling like he knows his environment before he feels that way. So for him, in three years' time, when he's about to go into high school, we feel that it would be the right decision for him to have moved school and be able to move to a high school where some of his classmates are going to move to as well, which is not the case for my daughter right now. So after a lot of deliberation and visiting this new school in the village, which is exactly the same setup as his current school, a one-form entry, cute little village school, and a five-minute walk into the village high street, we have decided to apply. And we found out just two days ago that he's going to actually get the spot and he's going to start on the 5th of September, which we're pleased about. But I'd be lying to you if I said I was only pleased. I'm both pleased and I'm sad. I'm a bit scared. And I'm a bit nervous about how this is going to shake his world. He knows about it, but he's reluctant to really take this in, to really take it on board. So in doing this, I very quickly discovered that this for me was a courageous act. This was me playing offense as opposed to defense. Defense would have been to just carry on. And I'm not saying it's always a case of copping out because it could abs absolutely be wisdom to carrying on as is and it could be the right thing for us. But the more we did the pros and cons list, we could see that there were more pros and there were cons to this. And it became very clear to me that I need to own this decision in order to be able to tolerate my son having big feelings about it. If I have that wavering every time he presents me with an argument for why he should be kept in school he's currently in, I would most likely feel very intimidated by his big feelings and want to talk him away from it and bribe him and need him to feel a certain way about it instead of just letting him have his big emotions. So it's a courageous act. And I know that because what I mentioned before is I'm feeling vulnerable. I don't know with 100% certainty that this change I'm about to create for my son and my family is in fact going to be better. I cannot make that promise to him. But my intention is that this will be amazing, right? I cannot guarantee that he's going to get into a class where the friendship dynamics are as fulfilling as they are in his current school or where the teacher is as wonderful as his current teacher is. I cannot guarantee that he's going to be brilliant at this at first, 
and that he's going to ace it and make a lot of friends. And there is ample opportunity here to feel vulnerable. And I do feel vulnerable. And this is why I want to share with you something about resilience. Because one of the things, another recent thing that I have done and that makes me feel vulnerable and courageous is every time I'm doing a corporate event. I love doing them. And every time I go through that whole process of feeling that my inner critic comes up, I feel vulnerable, I feel uncertain, I feel I'm taking a risk. And if I want to do my job well, I always try and push myself out into those corners where I know that I'm not just playing it safe, but I'm adding something of value to that company. And that often involves uncertainty and taking a risk. So I'm practicing that vulnerability right there. And in, uh, in fact, my last corporate event was for a pharmaceutical company that had thankfully asked me to do a webinar on the link between empathy and resilience. So I got to delve back into, and I say back into because I've been reading Brené Brown's books and audio material for years, and I'm such a fan. And if you haven't already, I urge you to check her out. She has studied the field of vulnerability and courage and shame for a decade, over a decade, I think, and has created so much wonderful research in that field and made it, you know, available to Joe Public, basically made boring science available and applicable to to everyone in a way that we can kind of take it into our own lives. And what she has done in this field is she's identified that resilience is is a teachable skill. There are steps, there is a mindset, there there is a behavior, set of behavior to resilience that we can adopt, we can identify, and then we can begin to actually practice and and live into that. So we need to first know what people who are resilient do, what they think, how they behave. And based on her research, and this is over a decade's worth of research, um, qualitative research, where she has listened to people's stories that have had extraordinary experiences that have required courage and vulnerability, and they've come out the other side, leading wholehearted lives, thereby demonstrating resilience. What are some of those things that those people have in common? And from that research, what she identified was that there are seven traits, there are seven things that these people had in common. And we could call them the seven steps of resilience. And I'll list them out first, and then I want you to, we could go through them one by one. The first one is they're good at problem solving. The second one is resilient people are more likely to ask for help. The third one is resilient people hold the belief that they can do something that will help them to manage their feelings and to cope, even if they don't currently know what that looks like. Four, they have social support available to them. Five, resilient people are connected with others, such as family or friends. Six, resilient people practice critical awareness. And seven, resilient people are committed to letting go of numbing or taking off the edge of vulnerability, discomfort, and pain. 
I wish you had this in writing in front of you and what I might do is write this down for you to download after. I think I'll put it in the notes so you can look at this list because it's easier to, to really sink your teeth into when you can see it in front of you. But I looked at this list and I thought to myself, okay, what I see here is that roughly half of those qualities are to do with cognitive things. So things that we can think, mindset things. I'm thinking here the problem-solving skills, also the thing about critical awareness, those and, and something about our belief, those are to do with ways that we think. Very important. The other half of this list of competences or, or practices is to do with social interactions, to do with how we lean into the social network in our life, into other people. And when I look at this list, what pops out for me is that I'm fairly good at the cognitive side. That's my strong suit. Yes, I'm a good problem solver. I can, I can, I can, I can work out a solution to what I'm going through. Also, I'm very good at the critical awareness piece where I reality check. So if I'm feeling a certain, a certain way about what I'm going through, I'm naturally very good at zooming out and reality checking is it just me which happens to be a shame resilience response as well which is we always feel shame when we feel alone in what we're going through and I'm relatively good naturally at zooming out and understanding maybe also because of my work and I get to speak to so many people and get to be on the inside of so many people's families and you know emotional lives to know that what I'm feeling is certainly not just me, but that I see that we're all in the same boat where that's concerned. So reality checking is very much about normalizing, seeing the bigger picture so we feel less alone. Those things I'm very good at. The place where I'm challenging myself and beginning to do so more so over this, I would say even in the last 12 months, this has been more at the forefront of my mind, is to lean into the support of other people. This is not my strong suit. This is not what I naturally do when I'm having a tough time. Is contrary to maybe what you do, which would be to tell everyone around you that, oh, it's really going, you know, things are tough at the moment. You know, my natural instinct is to keep that to myself. I do that for a long time. And when I open up to another person, it's a select few people that I open up to in that way. And it's been brought to my attention by people who are very close to me, even who feel sometimes that I don't necessarily volunteer some of those things that got me thinking, is that true? My natural instinct was to say, what are you talking about? I talk to you all the time. And I do share and I do this and I do that. And I tell you what's going on in my life. But no, there is something about that. I am a bit more guarded about what I am going through than perhaps you would be. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're the same. But all this to say that I realized that if I lent into the social side of this resilience skills list, then I had, would have so much more support 
available to me that I'm currently not really tapping into or that I had previously not really been tapping into. And I decided that that would be my, my next level. That would be my growth zone, if you want. And that's what I'm doing. And when you think about this list, you may have the exact opposite challenge. Perhaps you're very good at picking up the phone, telling your best friend, telling your mom, telling your sister, reaching out to support groups around you, what is going on for you, what, what you're struggling with, what you're fearful about. And as a result of that, you've got a lot of people in your life that are there to catch you. And maybe your next level could be to begin to challenge yourself to adopt more of a, the more practical side of things and get get better at maybe taking action on the things that you know will make you feel better or to reality check or to work on the beliefs that you hold around what's going on in your life. So we all have these blind spots, okay? We all have these aspects of our life where we could bring a bit more loving awareness to them and begin to open up and see what happens because this is after all how we evolve as humans and this is also something that would greatly benefit our children as well when we begin to embrace things that actually scare us so what i want to say about vulnerability as well and this is some something that i think should be the most important thing about brene's brown brene brown's work is that a, a common pitfall is to think that, oh, if I just share everything with everyone about what's going on in my life, then I'm practicing resilience. You know, I am, I'm connecting, I'm creating deeper, meaningful relationships. It doesn't work like that. When we overshare with the intention of connecting, with the intention of creating fast connection with other people, what we often do is we forget about our boundaries and we actually put the other person in a position where maybe they didn't even want to be. Maybe the relationship wasn't even there where that would be appropriate to do. Or maybe you have found yourself sharing with people who couldn't handle the information that you were giving them. Maybe they would tell others. Maybe they would judge. Maybe they would not say the thing you'd hoped that they would say. So it's up to each of us to really feel into what is going on between us and another person and know that it's a good idea to think less is more when it comes to that and to know that our innermost thoughts and, and pains and hurts in our life are not for everyone. That's a trust that's earned. But when you have those relationships in your life, and you realize that here is a person I could go further with, that's where you want to practice doing this. If your challenge is the same as mine, to begin to trust that relationship can bear that and that people can hold that, that tension of things being this way, but also a different way, like the complexity of it, which used to be my fear that if I said something, then the other person would think that it's only that and they would start feeling sorry for me. The idea is not that we start feeling sorry for each other, but it's that when we lean into the support around us, we experience that we're not alone, that there are other people there who recognize that feeling as well. So as I'm moving forward now with this 
what for us, our family feels like a brave next step, which to you maybe is nothing because you've done it five times already and you realize that your kids didn't die from having them change school. It's all relative, right? But as we're progressing with this, I am deciding to be open and honest about the fact that it does make me feel a bit unglued, a bit uncertain, a bit fearful. And I'm deciding to practice leaning into the support around me where that's concerned and dare not know the answers to whether this is going to be a good thing or not. And the more I can begin to take care of my insecurities in this respect, the more I can be available to my son, who's most likely going to need me to have broad shoulders so that he can cry, he can kick up a fuss, he can think it was the most horrendous idea ever to have him part ways with his friends and go to this new place. But if I'm not in a strong place where that's concerned, and if I don't know what I can hold on to during that, I'll most likely just need him to calm down. I'll need him to see things from our point of view and only focus on the positive. And that's not really how we get through things. We get moved through things when we're allowed to both miss what we're leaving behind and feel maybe a mixture of excited and fearful about what's awaiting us, right? It's holding that tension. So that's what I mean about resilience building. It's about being able to tolerate the complexities, tolerate the fact that life doesn't always come with guarantees and lean into the support around us and know that growth happens in that space. So my question to you dear listener, is ask yourself, where are we, or I as a mom or dad listening, where, where is there a sense of playing defense? Actively avoiding things that are making us feel uncertain, feel insecure, feeling a bit self-conscious, whether in your work life or in your private life. And where would you Imagine that if you dared leaning into courage a bit more, where would you actually stand to really grow, feel more alive, feel more invigorated and vital if you were to lean into that courage? I think this is an important thing to, to reflect on. And um, I'll most likely come back and say some more about it once we move nearer the time or once my son is actually in the other school. But I hope this episode will give you some new perspectives and I hope that there's something in there that you can take away and feel inspired by. Until we speak next time, I want to wish you a wonderful week and remember when life gets a bit challenging, when your child is acting up or there's big feelings, remember, get curious, not furious. There's always something there for you. You got this. Take care. <laughs>